Massachusetts and you. Thank you for the Stony Island. Stony Island Audio. What up? This is Open Mike Eagle. This is Secret Skin. This is uh, season two, episode 50. No, it's not. It's not episode 59. It's episode 13 of season two. This week's guest is myself again. No, uh, I have a guest interviewer again. This is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dem One, from the fantastic Dad Bod Rap Pod here at Stony Island Audio. Stony Island Audio is the podcast network that I curate featuring shows like the Dad Bod Rap Pod, Secret Skin, What It Happened Was, the Fatherhoods Podcast, The Questions Hip Hop Trivia, Creativity and Captivity, The Raw Report, and there's more. There's always more. Because I'm always forgetful. I'm Open Mike Eagle. And like I said, this week's episode, I have a guest interviewer asking me questions about my 2020 album, Anime, Trauma, and Divorce. Uh, this was my most recent work, and it contains a whole lot of vulnerable subject matter. So uh, every interview I did about it, including this one, was a little tricky to navigate um this album was a uh, the result of me doing some therapy based on some ish i was going through in my personal life and i decided to make music about it and then i decided to try it i tried it i decided to sell it in the marketplace next to uh like young gravy or little little such and such or whoever um so it was a weird process i had to cover a lot of that in the interview so that's what you're going to hear <laughs> on this episode. If you like Secret Skin, check out the other podcasts on Stony Island Audio. Also, a great way to support it is to rate it and review it on whatever platform you're listening on. Give it uh, 17 stars and a glowing um, six paragraph shining review. Um, write an entire term paper about how much you like it um also one line is fine if that's all you got in you that's okay uh, another great way to support the show is to join my patreon patreon.com slash open mike eagle for supporters of the podcast for supporters of the music we announced a new album called component system with the auto reverse is dropping october 7th people on my patreon are getting exclusive tidbits about that we dropped a video today, but they knew ahead of time. We do a hella personal podcast over there. There's literally a podcast just for the people on the Patreon to submit questions for me to answer. And that's the show. It's a great way to get insight about the pods, about the music, about everything. Sometimes I just write um, about what's going on in my life. It's great. It's like a support system. But it is a support system because you help support uh, me having a career. Um, but like I said, peep the new video It's called I'll Fight You Produced by the legendary Diamond D From the upcoming album component system With the auto reverse And uh, this is my conversation With Damone Carter A.K.A. Dim One From the Dad Bod Rap Pod Podcast About my 2020 album Anime Trauma And Divorce
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yo, this is Secret Skin again. I'm Open Mike Eagle, as usual. If this show was ever hosted by somebody else, that'd be really weird. Um, this is another one of these uh, special episodes we've been doing uh, in collaboration with the co-host from the amazing Dad Bod Rap Pod. And this episode, will be discussing my album, Anime Trauma and Divorce. And in that, I'm very fortunate to be joined by, from the aforementioned Wonderful dad by rap pod, Mr. Damone Carter, aka Dim One. Yo, what's happening, Mike? Yo, I'm chilling, man. I'm chilling. This has been a lot of fun. Um, you guys are awesome interviewers. So I had your other two co-hosts, Nate LeBlanc and David Mine, here, and I had them plug the podcast. Since they've done that already, I thought I'd mix it up this time and ask you a question. And it's the type of thing that fascinates me as an MC that does other stuff. Like you being the rapper on that show. And I always like to couch questions in this with the with the fact that MCing is probably one of the most egotistical <laughs> pursuits that one could ever have in life. True. Um, is is MCing. It's a very ego-driven activity and the world of it is very ego-driven as well. I wonder what the experience has been like for you in a show where you talk about rap all the time, but like your music isn't like centered. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm really curious what that experience is, is like for you. I think it's an extension of kind of how I live my life. I do rap. I think that's central to my identity as a person. But in the many different walks of life, let's say that I have, a lot of people don't even know that. So it's easy for me to kind of, I'm, I'm very compartmental. So it's easy for me to be like, you know, I'm on the show. We're talking about rap. And what I do is not really part of that. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think it helps that I'm, I'm a little bit older. And so maybe um, my dreams are a little better. <laughs> I'm not trying to like push and pitch my stuff all the time. I, don't, I just don't feel that. Maybe had I been doing this show in my 30s, it probably would have totally just been a, a vehicle for me to try to get my music off. But now I think I'm just in a place where I'm like, hey, if you like what I do musically, that's great, but I have wonderful people in my life who just do not understand uh, any of this shit. And so I think it makes it easy for me to show up on the show and just talk about music without um, centering myself. But with the new theme song that we did, now that line is starting to blur. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar. An argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now fans worldwide say... Not a bad job. I'll kick this back to you uh, because you're occupying these two spaces at the same time. Do you ever get kind of uncomfortable or, or weird about asking other artists about their work as if you're not an artist, like of, of just taking that hat off? I'll say this. Where my mind went as soon as those words came out of your mouth, I was thinking about, like, there's been a few times and a couple instances in a couple of seasons of what had happened was where I have had a very quiet existential crisis, like, mid-conversation. Like, 
quiet earthquake inside of me. Like, do I exist? Because I'll be talking to somebody who is rattling off the names of all these rappers for one reason or another. And 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 this is when it gets to like rappers who maybe I would consider peers or people I know. And like, my name doesn't come up in the conversation. And I'm like, what does this mean? Like, does... <laughs> I think in life, and this is part of why I asked you that question too, because like I said, this is a very ego-driven exploit, rapping is. With the amount of ourselves that we put into it, when the world doesn't reflect that back at us, like sometimes I legit like wonder if I exist or not. I've been able to do some super cool shit, but it's just like rap is one of those weird things where like, oh, this thing I do for a living... I have to expect that it's going to be happening in the world all the time. Like when I walk in a coffee shop or a restaurant or whatever, like rap music is going to be playing. Like that's my job though. And not expecting to ever be a part of the global conversation of rap. Which is like 10 guys though, or let's say 10 people now, right? There's like literally 10 people who can say that they're a rapper and people will be like, oh yes, I see that. I affirm that. I think for the other 900 thousand million rappers that there are on the planet it's all up for grabs there could be somebody could walk right up to my apartment right now and be like i have two million uh spotify listens per month rapper and i couldn't debate them they could be like i'm i'm whoever and i have you know distraction to my career and i'd be like i can't tell you you're wrong you know what i mean because that's where we're at in the game these days <laughs> but we're here to talk about anime trauma and divorce and with that i'm gonna turn it over to you man I feel privileged to to be a part of this conversation because I think with podcasting, and Nate points this out on the podcast all the time, when you're listening to a podcast, it's like you're chatting with a ghost. It's like there's a conversation that's going on and it's structured as such so you, that you feel a part of it, but you can't chime in. And that is the way that I felt about this album, Anime Trauma and Divorce. It came out about a year after I got divorced. And so there was a lot of... Uh, insights, reflections, sleeping on a bed couch that really resonated. And um, I found myself kind of um, in a way in conversation with this record to be like, oh, I, I feel you on that. Or at least two thirds. I don't know shit about anime. We'll get into that. But I did want to ask kind of to start, did you have any reservations about doing a record that dealt with such deeply personal issues and you're it's not as if you're like a closed book you know you've done this on other records but this in particular rappers are not always great about opening up about issues with relationships with family and i wonder if if there was ever a point in this where you kind of had pause about going all in on the on the entirety of the theme you're 100 percent correct uh vulnerability to this degree wasn't something i'd ever done before like i've i've talked about myself and i've talked about some of the issues in on this album before, but I talked around a lot of that stuff before. You know, I wasn't directly taking ownership of really any of my circumstances or my feelings. I would make very unclear metaphors about all of them, you know, and speaking directly to them in the way that, because uh, in the development of this, like, you know, I was going, I was going through these things and 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 having a lot of difficulties, you know, with the family separation and everything that led up to it. My therapist literally had to remind me that like I have this outlet to process my feelings because I'm not very good at processing my feelings like on my own. 
And she reminded me I had this outlet. And so I started writing songs that directly dealt with how I was feeling in ways that I hadn't really done before. I think that there's songs that I've had in my career, in my catalog, like songs that I've made that I felt like were too personal. I always ended up yanking them off the record before I put the record out. But this album is like pretty much all of the sort of song that I would have shelved before. And I think the toughest part, honestly, was because writing them felt good. Selling them felt weird. Even the kind of regular, normal social media promotion that you have to do around the album, it felt so weird to do it around this one. Like, it, it felt weird to treat it like just any other product, because it wasn't. And, like, I was looking at the reviews all sideways. Like, And I usually, like, I've gotten to the point where that doesn't usually bother me. Like, people can feel how they want to feel about it. This was the sort of album, like, if anybody had anything negative to say, I was ready to fight. Because this is your life. This would be a critique of your life. It wasn't just a product. It was me. This is me. This is like my dirty insides. Like, how dare you? But yeah, that you know, just to answer your question, I had plenty of reservations about it. And I still, to this day, like, I don't know if it was the right decision. You got an eight in Pitchfork. How could it not be the right decision? <laughs> I kind of always get an eight in Pitchfork. <laughs> or like a 7.4 or something, you know? Yeah, we say on the show that um, a 7.4 in Pitchfork for a rapper is a 10. It is. So you, you got a 10 there. But how much space did you need from said traumatic events to making the art about them? Did you, did you have to have some separation and space before you could like process them creatively? Not really. A lot of that stuff I was writing in real time. That's why some of the songs have the emotional potency that they have. I would come from therapy and just be writing. A distance came because just in that natural business cycle, like you write songs, you and then you, you know, then you make demos and then you gotta take the you know, I took the demos to a producer and then redid a bunch of them. And then there's, you know, the the natural wait between when a product is done and when it comes out. But this was compounded by the pandemic. So we waited even longer. Uh, and then, you know, vinyl shortages and all of that. So by the time it was out, I was very far removed from a lot of that stuff, which was another weird thing like, oh, so now I'm kind of reliving the shit that, that I do have some distance from because I decided to sell it. It's a great album. I, I wonder, though, not to get too personal, but I wonder if you felt at all the sense of you're a black man, you had a nuclear black family, you're doing all the right things, and then, um, and then you go through this kind of you know, separation, divorce, and we're all kind of Kanye on a bed couch at that point. Were you concerned about your, your reputation taking a hit, kind of how you'd be viewed by fans? Because you're, you're viewed as universally a good guy. I'll put that up there. You are, view, you are not a scumbag rapper. You are viewed as generally a good guy. And so the, these events and talking about them kind of cast you in another light. Were you concerned about that at all or do you just not care? Uh, not really. You know, even though I was being vulnerable, like there's still a lot of stuff I kept to myself, you know, just to protect myself and protect my ex-wife. And you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's, 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 it's not a, it wasn't like a, Tell all kind of like, yeah. yeah, it wasn't that. It was literally just about me like trying to process my feelings. And in and, and that, like, I didn't feel like I was gonna say anything that, you know, that, that put me in too bad of a light. I didn't, I didn't, I, I guess I didn't, yeah, I wasn't thinking about it that way. I've been waiting for four years and five seasons. Five well, goddammit, it's my turn, it's my season. Mine. In this chapter, JoJo is African. And it's me, Mike Eagle, I'm the protagonist. It's me. And it's set in South Central Los Angeles. Los Angeles. 
because god damn it it's my turn it's talk to me about time. about anime right because i i feel like yes you know um many artists have kind of processed their relationship uh pains through music uh family issues through music but this album has an interesting angle and i'm, I'm fascinated because i don't know a lot about it where you overlay anime themes and characters over your own story i'm curious as to like where did that idea come from and and why did you think to pair those things because uh, I was actually watching a lot of anime at that time, and what I was drawn to was uh, the power fantasy. Because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, the the classic anime, the shonen anime, the you know, Dragon Ball, Bleach, Naruto, like those stories. Like this, this other one, Hunter Hunter, was real big for me at that time. It's about characters who start out really weak and. You know, they're constantly being put in situations that try to break them and finding the strength to like push through. And, you know, there's cliche ways in which that happens. And it's really easy to kind of poke fun at anime because of that. But I do think that there's like, there was something inspiring about seeing that happen, even though it's a cartoon person. Just like hearing a human voice talk about trying to find the hope inside them to push through this bigger person beating the shit out of them. You know what I'm saying? And like they had to deep down, they had, you know, on the, on the edge of dying, they're passing out and they find a thing, you know, something to focus on, something to inspire them. And I, and it wasn't like they were finding the thing that I needed, but just watching them push deeply inside and try to find something was really inspiring to me at that time. So like uh, I found myself really using that stuff, you know, as inspiration. Yeah, and in a really interesting way, because I think, um, you know, I know other rappers have, have talked about anime and oftentimes rappers will take other forms of entertainment as a jumping off point. You know, Westside Gun loves wrestling. I know you love wrestling too. Where's my belt? I want to see my belt. We're really not ready for you. We're working on it. I don't want to hear any excuses. I want to see my belt and I want to see it now. Wu-Tang had karate. You brought it in in a way that wasn't like, here's just some samples and some cliche things. It was actually a metaphoric piece. Do you feel like Black folk in particular, uh, that there's something there for us in anime? Without a doubt. The original intention of this album, before I started going through all my personal shit, I was going to make an album about, like, the album was going to be about the link between Black people and anime. Like, that's what the album was going to be about. Like, I've lived in Black American ghettos all around this country. And there's always a new generation of black boys that love the shit out of anime and black girls too. And I, I do think there is something there specifically for like marginalized people. I think finding that strength to push through circumstances, I think there's something really resonant there for folks that are oppressed. I think, yeah, there's a reason why it attracts so many people in the hood. Gold chains, anime, tattoos, haircuts, gold chains, anime. Tattoos, tattoos, tattoos. Yeah, and it's it's actually under-discussed. I've said this a couple times to some friends. There's somebody who's going to make money off a coffee table book that explores the connection between communities of color and anime. Latinx cultures really, really fuck with it real tough, too. Yep. This record opens up with Death Parade. Should have been cool, but dude got screwed up and shit got burned up. So he fucked her up and she turned big. I got chewed up, this shit fucked me up. So I'ma fuck you up, a kid called him. That kid grew up and messed this kid up. Which uh, has the, the signature things that I, I love from a, a Mike Eagle record. 
melody, melancholy, and kind of like a clever cadence scheme. But you're talking about some really, really heavy things. And I wonder, are you trying to give people a little bit of sugar with the medicine in the sense of, you know, Death Parade could be a much darker, angrier, sadder song than it presents. So is that intentional for you? Do you try to like mix those those colors? That's a really interesting question. And I'm not sure if I've like really consciously thought about that juxtaposition. My front brain answer is that like, I like that beat. I knew I wanted to write about that subject. And I and I tried to make like a nice, like a good song. Like that's that's my front brain answer. But what you bring up is very true that like that subject matter is raw and edgy and heavy and stark and fucked up. But like I approach the delivery in a very like, intentional and delicate way. And I'm not 100% sure whether or not that I wasn't doing that in order to make myself more comfortable in it even. Yeah, I was going to say, is it is it really for you? I think it might be. Because I, I do think like, I have a real hard time feeling my feelings. Like I have a real hard time with that. So like any little cheat code I can use to like get to that, I'll take it. And I have a problem sometimes with other media that's too like emotionally available. Like it's like, ugh, I don't even want that. That's nasty. Like, ugh. You know, so like there is something about the Trojan horseness of it that I do think is somewhat to do with my comfort. I'll offer something else, and I don't know if you thought about this, is um in in many ways I see you as as a, a comedian as somebody who definitely taps into to comedy, obviously you had a comedy show, certain things are presented in a comedic way so that like, just like you said, you can, you can get it off, but it's, it's kind of like you're, you're chuckling a little bit so I can chuckle a little bit, but also I know it's, it's pretty dark. I think about a song like we cry together. It's the exact opposite. Kendrick's not a comedian. And also, I've listened to that song like twice, right? Like, like. <laughs> it is a lot. It's great. But yeah, like I think three times tops for me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Took a bad fall, bad fall. Look, but we ain't had up in the land on. Damn, she reached down and put her hands on me. But then we knew we had the math wrong. Trauma and Divorce, to me, is an achy record. It's heartache. It's like literal backache. You are one of the first rappers to be able to deal with aspects of aging, which are themes throughout, you know, your other albums, too. But you're one of the first rappers to be able to deal with the aspects of aging and the issues that come along as you get into your midlife in a really creative and cool way. Rappers spend a long time pretending that they didn't age. It's like the Peter Pan era. And then like you're really leaning into it on this record, especially with the Sweatpants Spider-Man track. Started doing more push-ups. Back pain when I look up. Taking down what I put up. Knee hurt when I stood up. Instagram for my joggers. Got a dad bod like my father. How much of that is you intentionally like poking fun at yourself and kind of leaning into the fact that you're not the young hot kid. And how much of that is like, just like, Hey, I'm an artist. So I'm going to talk about 
whatever's going on in my life right now is is fodder for the rap. It got to the point, like, when I was making this album, like, I mean, I was 39 writing a lot of it. And I knew for sure when it came out, like, I was going to be, like, if not 40, like, it was going to be, like, the next day. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I really had to have a real conversation with myself, like, about being, not just being a rapper and being 40, being an indie rapper and being 40. When I was making this album, this is the very first time where, like, I used to have it be like a joke in my head, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on the XXL freshman list with this one. Like, that used to be a joke in my head, right? But by the time I got to this one, it was like, no, like that is definitely never gonna happen now. Like, like, like they have to come up with a new XXL, like fifth year senior thing or something. <laughs> <laughs> damn, damn. It hit that crossroads point of. If I'm going to continue to do this, I have to figure out my way around it, like my way through it. I have to like make peace with it somehow. I can't say that that's like fully over, but I think a song like Sweatpants Spider-Man is like really me making an honest attempt to deal with my difficult thoughts around doing this thing at this age and what that's going to mean for my life and how people see me. As we record this today, hip hop just turned 49. Shout out to Cool Herc. And it feels like every five or 10 years, rap looks back at itself and we move the goalpost. There was a time, I think, when you were 30 and you were just washed, right? But now some of the biggest names in the game are pushing 50, 50 plus. But you make, it, you make an interesting point in the sense, not necessarily true in the indie rap scene. Like a lot of folks have moved on to do other things by this point. What keeps you in it? Like, what keeps you feeling like, because you, you have a many interests and I'm sure opportunities, but what keeps you making rap songs? One, I think the, the medium, I've really found my voice in it and like sharpened my craft to a place where I like, I really enjoy making music. I really like, like it. Like, and it is the medium of our age, right? Like if we were if we were our age in the 60s, I might be playing rhythm guitar or something, you know what I'm saying? Or like singer-songwriting or, or playing the keys or some shit. Like when we grew up in a world that hip-hop was alive and well in and all around us and my artistic self has just been developed in this stew of hip-hop and like I've worked so hard on it that communicating to the world through this language of rap music, it just seems like it just feels really important to me to continue to do because I do have other opportunities and I take advantage of those other opportunities as best I can. But what I've found with those other opportunities is most of most all of them involve working with other people in a way that doesn't naturally suit me. Like, I'll be working on a TV show and, like, those meetings make me want to run home and make rap music because can't nobody tell me shit. Like, ain't no network notes. Like, in, in a sense, the other things keep me rapping because as an artist, as a creator, it's really important to me to have some aspect of my life that I can control. I oftentimes will sit in meetings at my day job and be like, I will take out any of you bar for bar. <laughs> I will take you outside and we will freestyle battle right now. <laughs> the song Head Ass really resonates with me. I'm curious, maybe your top one, two, three uh, Head Ass moments. 
in your life? One head-ass moment, for sure, this, this one leaps to mind, is that, like, I'm very head-ass about the term hotep. I'm very partial to it, to its original meaning in terms of how it was used, like, when I was in college as, like, a very positive thing, and, and it kind of, like, reflected people's genuine interest in, like, African culture and black people being nice to each other and shit, like, and it when it became this kind of, like, you know, term to, you know, a, a, a call dudes that are like misogynistic behind cultural, you know, artifacts and clothing. And then they took the term and said, yeah, you called me a hotep. Damn it. That's right. I'm a hotep. And like, I really fought that. Like I fought that. Like I remember this one time I was on the internet, like arguing all day on Twitter with somebody trying to tell me that like, oh, like, like basically they were trying to tell me that the original meaning didn't matter anymore because it had gotten co-opted to such a degree. And I was really trying to fight an, uh, an unwinnable battle on Twitter all day one day, you know? Like, and that, that felt like a definite, a definite head-ass moment. Because head-ass, head uh, for the uninitiated, definitely has a connotation of, like, stubbornness. Mm -hmm. For There's, sure. It's, it's like a stubbornly going at something that, um, as, as to say, a head up one's ass. It ain't a secret, I overthink it, I overanalyze and tweak it, cause that's my weakness, not everyday but pretty frequent, I did it recent, I spit a good chunk of the weekend, under the deep end, was searching for but another reason, I squeezed It's been out for a couple years, how do you feel it was received? Like, do you think people got it? Because it came out during the pandemic and I didn't get to tour it, I really never got the full extent of how it was received. I got how, you know, people on Twitter received it, which was like mostly good, but I also saw some people who were just completely bummed out by it. You know what I'm saying? And like, didn't, and I got that. Like, I, I read some tweet from somebody or it was in a Reddit thing or something. Somebody um, went to one of those Arm & Hammer shows that I opened for and they said, I saw him at Arm & Hammer and his set was so good. I loved it. And I came home and I, I bought his record and I came home and it bummed me the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense, right? Like, if you see me live, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't necessarily speak to the experience you're going to have listening to my latest work. But I did perform more of the songs on the touring that I've done this year, like the headline shit I did in, in in Europe and I was opening for a band a couple months ago and I was doing some of the stuff and it was going over a lot better than I thought it would. But in the flow of the show, we we, we really figured out how to make that shit work and, and I was happy with how people were receiving it live. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Every time I, I get the opportunity to talk to you, I always ask, have you experienced a bump in popularity, fame, <laughs> acclaim. And the last time I asked, we were in Idaho and, and you were just kind of starting to tour some of this stuff. But I ask again, now that you've had the record out for a couple of years, you have what, what I think it seems like is going to be an amazing new record coming out pretty soon. Do you feel like you've leveled up at all from your, your last release? I can never tell. Like, I see the metrics I can see, and most of that is just, like, kind of, like, social media followers. And 
that shit has largely been level, <laughs> you know, for the past year. Like it hasn't, it hasn't super spiked. Are more doors opening? Do you do you kind of feel like the name Open Mike Eagle is? Yes, but the the, the weirdness about that is that. The name rings bells for people, but I don't. I can never tell why, because there's so many different things that somebody could have heard of me from. So like, there's no, there's no telling. You know, there's no telling how they came to me. Right, right. I can corroborate that with the folks in my life. If I say open my Kegel, they're like, yeah, I heard of that. Yeah, but they have. They cannot. You know, they, it probably ain't from Animatrum and Force. <laughs> <laughs> Start studying Kendrick. Start dressing like Hendrix. Old chapter just ended. I'm looking over my spending. Gotta start doing it different. Review what I've written. Start thinking about moving on. Start thinking about. You mentioned on this record studying Kendrick. Kendrick dropped a, a new album, controversial in some ways. What did you get from studying Kendrick and what did you apply on anime trauma and divorce? I think I was looking at flows then. I think I was looking at how he approaches building a cadence because I think he's probably our best in-studio performer. I think he's so good at doing so many wildly different things very well on a microphone. I'm not sure we've ever seen anybody like that that can can go real hard and boisterous to go real soft and melodic and do it all extremely well and clear and perfect pitch and in pocket like he does a lot of really difficult stuff in ways that at least outwardly seem easy for him. I was certainly looking at his approach to cadence and rap writing. And I still study him, but I guess it's like I'm more of like a weird like critic of him now, but not 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 in a sense of like finger wagging or anything like that. But like I think especially this last album, I feel like there's so much going on that if you're not a black male rapper, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That shit is just going to go right the fuck over your head. Like, I feel like he's he's doing a lot of uh, things that speak to a very specific experience. And I feel like uniquely suited to be unpacking some of that shit. I agree with what you're saying. And he's doing it at a time where the black male experience of rap isn't centered in the same way that it's been. I look at him, I look at a, an artist like Dave Chappelle and go, our experience isn't as central to these art forms as it used to be. And I think that's that's some of the reason why um, folks are struggling with the album a little bit. But I think it's interesting. I don't know that I've heard too many rappers on a record admit that they study other rappers. Are there other rappers that you literally sit down and like are studying? I have studied people like Feral Monch, Black Thought. I've been really interested in what woods is doing and what elucid is doing and these are friends of mine but i really i've been captivated by it i used to study mc paul barm a lot lyrical leapfrog puts you in a deep fog a sleep cog in the wheel steal like a cheap dog reblog all you want i'll kick a new style true about to do now is advantage by the match is stepping into the pile i'm a big fan of people who use what is now called fucking multis which is a word i hate <laughs> but like like I, I'm a I'm a I'm a rhyme guy. I'm a rhyme guy. So I love looking for people who really know their way around rhymes. Really digging Fatboy Sharif lately, and like his his multitude of different approaches and the 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 theater of it, but it's also still super raw. Like 
I see the past of the Ouija men aboard them. Half train back to the promised land at 4 a.m. Rework mad statements or her translation as the prophecy I used to study the outsiders. I'm a deep outsider's head. Like, you know, Young Z, Pace, you know, Slang Ton, uh, Yaya, Rod Digger, you know, like their styles, their approach was really eye-opening for me as well. outside the genre do you like study artistically i mean all of the rock music that i like so that's you know they might be giants and xtc and rem and pixies and the breeders and like when are we getting that record i'm not doing that record I, i'm asking for nate that's not the record that i want but i'm asking for nate because <laughs> you always hear like little poke throughs in different albums and i'm like when is he just gonna do it my whole thing is I always just want to bring that shit to rap. I don't want to start over with nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need to step out into anything new. Like, I still have a long way to go before I am sure that the reason that people know me is because of the rap songs. So I, I don't think it's a good idea for me to start doing other genres. Yeah, I, I hear you. you. You might be right, but let's revisit that because I, I, think, I think there's some bread to be made. I might be being a head-ass about that. You're right. A little bit, but I appreciate it because as, as a rapper who, who likes rapping uh i appreciate that you're you're still in that lane what the fuck is self-care my dark shit is the purest i hear self-care cures what the fuck is self-care trying to find that shit like a tourist see if they take my insurance what the fuck is self-care oh it's like using good lotions and long walks up the ocean. what is self-care to open my eagle lately it's been surrounding myself with shit from my youth like physical items from my youth because my therapy has led me to a place where in, in order for me to feel my feelings, which is really what my self-care is about, because if I'm not doing self-care in that way, then my feelings are just trapped in my body and they can't go anywhere and they're going to eat me alive from the inside. So surrounding myself with things from when I was a little kid, like make me feel safe. And when I feel safe, it's easier for me to feel my feelings. Ooh, I think you just saved me like two or three sessions right there. Uh. <laughs> I, I, I'm happy to, man. I'm, I'm paying so you don't have to. Uh, that's dope. What kind of artifacts are we talking about? If you have seen the cover of my new album, I'm wearing a stereo on my yeah. head, and it's like legit a stereo from the 90s. Like, and my house is like full of those. I mean, and, and you know, comic books and old, like old basketball cards and shit from when I was young. Uh, but even like watching old movies. Like I watched, I can watch the G.I. Joe movie, the animated one, and cry and cry and cry and cry, and it's great. G.I. Stumbling to November knowing goddamn well I can't make nothing close to this tender. Can't fade, can't accelerate, so pitch me into that blender. Regardless where the sun is, I'm my own personal winter. I'm cold, I think I'm cold, I'm just trying to remember. Just trying to remember. It's October and I'm tired. It's August, we're pulling up on October. Are you still tired? <laughs> 
you know what's funny is I'm not as tired as I was when I wrote that song because I wrote that song in October of 2019. So I'm not that tired anymore. But it's interesting. My new album's about to come out in October, and I'm like, that's I'm gonna be hearing people saying, yeah. It's October and I'm tired all month, but no, I got new shit. I'm not as tired on the new shit. Like, I it's almost like I need to make a sequel to that song. You know, it's it's Oct it's October and I'm not as tired anymore. When you were saying you were tired, was it like is that the exhaustion of like I'm dealing with these traumatic life issues? Are you were you tired like in a creative space? Like ah, I'm tired of this shit. Like what what was it? So there's there's either three or four verses on that song. And each one outlines a different thing that that had me exhausted. One of them was uh, New Negroes getting canceled. And that happened like the month before that, like in like that September, like that happened. And and the way it happened, it was kind of like we got dicked around a little while over the course of like six weeks. In a way, it was like we thought the conversation was about how we needed to approach season two. But the conversation was actually like, y'all don't even get to approach season two. The conversation was never clear to that degree. And then I had a couple other opportunities that fell through the cracks at that time on the TV side too. It was heartbreaking because I was also dealing with the family shit and not just emotionally, but even financially, like I needed something to happen and nothing was happening. And it was like really putting me in a bad place. One of those verses is about um, the Hellfire Club and that thing dissolving, which I spoke about with, with David talking about the dark comedy album, but I was really bitter in that moment because there were some huge opportunities we could have had that ended up falling by the wayside. So like I was feeling that. So I was just exhausted with niggas not getting along, um, exhausted with losing opportunities. And then the last verse was about the, the family separation, you know, and those were like the three things that had beaten the shit out of me in October of 2019. We tried doing forever, we tried doing what they tried to do, but we tried doing it better. We tried alone together, tried until we got tired of losing, tired of pulling on levers, tired of trying to balance them ledges when there's one rock and one feather. And Man, and by the time I think we were hearing it in October of 2020, everyone in the world was like a little run down. 100%. It resonated in a way that I never would have imagined because who could have foresaw that the fucking world would be shut down? Yeah, exactly. Because you didn't know then when you were writing it, but it definitely hit. And, you know, I, I was still on the bed couch at that point. So it really... Oh, my <laughs> God. That bed couch, man. Yeah, it really hit in a particular way. I'm glad to hear that, you know, you, you've got a, you got a new wind. you got a, a, a new record coming out. Talk a little bit about your son's involvement on anime trauma and divorce. First of all, I'd like to say black dad rapper to black dad rapper. I love when I see rappers passing it down to their kids. Like I think this like the uh, culture should be proprietary. Mm. This, this is our. <laughs> mm, I love that. My seeds go with his seeds, marry his seeds. It's how we keep with tang money all up in the family. Nobody teach Jack Harlow. We need to keep this shit in the in the family. <laughs> I love to see that energy, and I know there's you know there's there's a lot of rappers who have done that. But um, I wonder uh, Ace's involvement was it in some ways cathartic for you? But we've heard 
we heard a lot of his voice on this record, and I, I wonder if that was intentional or is he just old enough to be on the record now? He has always rapped himself, like always. He's As long as he could talk, he's been rapping. I have this video of him. He has to be three years old. And he knew every word to scenario because he used to watch that video over and over. And it, and you're like, boom, no, boom, boom, Like, you know what I'm saying? It's crazy. That's so but he just, you know, because he developed in his household with me and this rap everywhere. And he was really into it. And when I was making this album, I think that there was something in me that wanted to have him just be part of it because emotionally, like my feelings about the family and him, like, like, you know, it needed to be present, it needed to be represented in the album somehow. The funny thing is he hates that shit now. It used to be real automatic for him. There was no shyness. Like, he was just like, yeah, I'm doing this, right? Like, give me the mic. And he is 13 now, and he is not w about none of this shit. Like, he asked me at one point if I could take him off the album after it was out. Because he doesn't understand He didn't understand how that shit worked. I think he told me, like, one of his friends found it or something. And, you know, I think they might have messed with him a little bit. Because he sounds like a little kid. You know, he, he really was, he was a little guy and he sounds like a little guy and it's really cute and he's not wanting to be nine-year-old cute. Now he's 13. Absolutely not. I have a son, he's an adult and an artist too. Do you get the sense that he's a little bit like, you know, I don't know. I didn't grow up with the dad, but I know if I did, I wouldn't have taken his music that seriously, even if I was eating from it. Do you get the sense that like dad's music is... Ah, that's cool, but that's what dad does. That's like an, an older people thing. Yeah, 100%. And, and he's so into music. He'll clown me. He clowns me. He clowns all indie rappers. He clowns old school rappers. Like, he makes fun of old school rap in a very potent way because he don't like dusty beats. Like, you know what I'm saying? He don't, he don't like that type. Of, he don't like lyrical rap. He makes fun of how lyrical rappers rap in videos, especially. He loves doing that. It's funny because it's coming back around now. When he was a real little kid... He listened to a lot of music I listened to. So he, he loved MF Doom and Serengeti and Bus Driver and all of this indie stuff. He was really into it. And he got really away from that when he heard commercial rap. He really likes the sound quality a lot, even as a little kid. He really responded to it. So he was strictly that. And then now he has his own taste. He's he's listening to strictly SoundCloud now and playing like, like his favorite shit now is sped up versions of yeah. rap songs. I had, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, like, this is a whole thing happening on SoundCloud where people just take the songs and speed them up and then, like, people enjoy this. I'm like, okay. But he's getting back into Doom and his friends are getting into Doom. And that's how he's going to end up having to take dad seriously. <laughs> Because his dad having songs with Doom is gonna be currency. I can romp a trouble jack, phantom sell another trap. Bet your life double that. Think you're having fun in fact. Slipping one too many times may not be no coming back. Coming back, coming back. Never let it happen. Use your phone, tell side chick, get the packet. Other phantom write it all down and get the rap. I fought a ghost in my apartment. He had too many hit points. He bested me and told me I should have invested in Bitcoin. And then he lit joints and offered me a phantom can. He drove a phantom, then he started second. So, Anime Trauma and Divorce, a deeply personal record, uh, a record put out under duress. 
when the world was was hurting real bad. But you got a new record coming out. Uh, say the title for me, because I, I got to work myself into it. Component system with the auto reverse. It's way too long. But all of my titles, like, this is the thing. Every one of my albums could have had a way longer title. <laughs> and I just kind of bent, like, ah, maybe. But this one, like, no. It's component system with the auto reverse. Okay. And I'm, I'm going to sometimes call it a tape called component system with the auto reverse. I'm kind of curious as to, like, are we looking at anime trauma and divorce as, like, 808 and heartbreak? And it's not necessarily like you're going to return to it, and maybe second marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like a standalone thing? Are you picking up on any of those things with the new record? Nah, man, I'm I'm straight back to armor on this one, man. And probably armor in a way I've never armored up before. There's one song on here that speaks directly to um, a song on anime trauma and divorce, if people are listening to it correctly. Uh, and, and there's a couple more uh, emotional things, but... All of my emotions when it comes to this new album are communicated through, like, rapping with the force of survival. Like, like it's urgent. Everything's urgent. I kind of hear some of that on, I mean, I've only heard I'll Fight You, but um, it definitely feels like your craft can be used to tell beautiful, melancholic stories. And sometimes you could just beat a motherfucker's ass with the raps. Yeah, and there's a lot. There's a lot of rap weaponry, rap violence. My favorite kind. <laughs> one, two, one, two, one, two. Fly with my devices charged. I eat an edible and write some bars. A script illegible. It's nice and large. And now I wake up when the lights come on. I'm really feeling out a crisis card. It's one, two. Counting vacation days. So, in summation. How do you think this record will be viewed, Anime Trauma Divorce? How do you think it'll be viewed 10 years hence, when we come up on the 10-year? One thing I need to do is I need to shout out Jack Knife Lee. Jack Knife Lee is a world-famous record producer who's worked with people like Weezer and U2 and all these crazy bands, right? He mixed this album. And when I was, I was listening to it today to get ready to talk about it, and that's what really struck me is how intricately it's mixed and how big, so like like the song Aces Bop, like how big that song is. Like, I'm not used to my music being mixed that large. Like, oh, like I could fill a room with this. You know what I'm saying? Um, and the intricacy with, with which he mixed the vocals and he would have layers of things coming from different places and... He was, he's a really advanced and intricate and detailed and talented producer. And I hadn't really worked with anyone in that capacity. So when I listen to the album, like, that's what I hear. Like, I hear the sonics, which are so different than, than a lot of my other albums. And I think that, like, ultimately, it's, it's going to be known for that. I think it's going to be known as, like, sonically something that I maybe only did that one time. Because it doesn't sound like an indie rap record, you know? It sounds a lot cleaner than that in a lot of ways. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get to that again. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that might have that been a one-time thing. I think every rapper just has to give us one soul excavation, and then we're good. And then you could you can go on and just you know. I hope so. Because I don't never I don't want to do that again. I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> you can't make me. <laughs>
Dr. Mike Eagle. It's been it's been a pleasure to be able to talk to you about your work, man. Thanks for wanting to. Thanks for uh, you know lending us your uh, incredible talent and ear and insight. Um, it's really appreciated. And I do want everybody listening to this, and I imagine many of them are already aware of Dead by Rap Pod, but please go check them out. Uh, they're talking to the most interesting people in rap and talking about the most interesting rap in rap every week. So make sure you check out the Dead by Rap Pod. Stony Island Audio.